Great. Thank you all for coming. You know, it's kind of an awesome job to give a teaching about Lent to the church that's known as the, that its favorite season is Lent and that we are the church of the perpetual Lent. So I'm not sure. I think that somehow maybe I am preaching to the choir about Lent today. But um, for those of you who might be new to our church or uh, maybe you're interested in finding out more about the history of Lent, I'm not going to give a lot about the history of Lent. I'm really going to talk about, instead, the ways that we can incorporate Lent into our lives and what it really means. Uh, and then at the end, I would love, I hope we have time for some discussion, because I'd like to hear from all of you who, how you've experienced Lent in the past, what your hopes are for Lent, what, you know, just, I, want, I don't want me to be the only one talking, although in the beginning, I will be doing most of the talking. So at the end, I really want to open it up to everyone. So I know that some of you have maybe not grown up in a tradition, and you might be new to our church and don't really know about the history of Lent. Um, so I will just give a really brief history. And some of this might actually be surprising, because I think most of us know the 40 days of Lent are, you know, they symbolize, you know, Moses in the desert, the, the Israel in the desert, Christ in the desert. But really... Um, from the very beginning um, of the church, as early as the second century, we have in um, Irenaeus of Lyon talking about 40 hours of preparation for Easter. Because from the very beginnings of the church, Easter became the apex of the liturgical year. It wasn't Christmas, it wasn't Pentecost, but it was Easter, and in particular, the Easter Vigil. And the reason this was is because this was the traditional time when the catechumens, those who had been preparing all year to be admitted into the uh, communion, the, the body of Christ, uh, those who share in the Eucharist, as they understood what the body of Christ was, is those who share in the Eucharist. So, you know, maybe in the beginning it was because there was a lot of persecution, but the doors of the church were actually locked to the unbaptized after the, um, the reading of the word and the ministry of the word. We have the shape of the liturgy from the very, very earliest roots. I mean, mid-165, uh, we have um, uh, Jerome, or not Jerome, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm missing a name here, but that's okay, Justin Martyr writing about what the shape of the communion was, and it was the reading of the word, the reading of the gospels, and the sharing of the bread. And then interestingly, um, after that was over, the bread that had been blessed was sent out by the deacons to those who um, were not uh, able to be with them that were baptized. So with that shape also came the shape of the celebration of Easter, which um, the catechumens would be dressed uh, first of all, they had been prepared at this point uh, around 3rd century, 325. We have the Nicene Creed, but we also have instructions there in those, in those um, writings from 325 about how Lent is to be celebrated by uh, and prepared for by the catechumens. That the catechumens were to spend uh, this six weeks. At this point, it was 40 days. A later Ash Wednesday was added so that it was a complete 40 days um, and not just six Sundays. Um, and they were like each Sunday in Lent, they were to have memorized a certain portion of the creed. I mean, this is all written out. Um, 
after they'd memorized the creed and presented that, they would learn the Our Father. So it was a whole six-week preparation of teaching. And then um, at the night uh, uh, before Easter morning, the church would gather. The catechumens would be dressed in long white robes. Um, that was all they were dressed in. Um, they, when they were baptized, they took off their robes. So it was either male uh, deacons or women deacons that did the baptizing uh, to prefer, uh, because of, for that reason. Um, and so this was basically the apex of the church year was when the catechumen were baptized. But um, gradually it came to be understood that um, this baptism was not to be celebrated just for those who were to be baptized, but also that it was to be a time of those who were gathered to renew their baptismal vows. So Lent was actually a time of preparation for the whole church to um, look to that moment when they would be renewing their vows. Oops, sorry, I went the wrong way. Um, so as early as the second century, um, it developed as a period for the catechumens to prepare, but then eventually it was the whole congregation began to use this period to prepare for the renewal of their own baptismal rites. So this is really the purpose of Lent is to prepare to renew our baptismal rites. This is actually how the early church understood it. All that other that comes along with this is follows this idea that we are looking towards that time when we will renew our commitment to God. And I think it's so cool. I didn't actually know when I prepared this teaching that we're actually having a baptism this morning. Is that correct, Father Martin? So you'll get a chance to see the baptismal vows. And while we may not have a, from time to time, the church does have a corporate renewal of baptismal vows. And I actually have a handout that I will give you uh, that you can take later if you'd like to take at home that has basically what are these vows that we're renewing. And we'll also get into them later on in the church. But just so you don't think I'm just making this all up, um, I want you to read from Bishop Morales his Latin pastoral letter, which we received this past week. Lent is the time to seek refuge anew under the shadow of the cross of the Lord, planted at Calvary, which reveals to us the horizon of his victory over evil and death. This is our goal, not only during Lent, but through all of our lives. The church invites us to cast off the old garments as we wear and to clothe ourselves with the new robes of Easter. In this way, Lent becomes a time of preparation and renewal of our baptism which we celebrate on the night of the Easter Vigil or on Easter Sunday. So we almost always, I hope we are having a baptism this Easter, but we almost always do. And this is the time when we join in with those that are being baptized to renew our vows. So why this emphasis on baptism? And I think it's very clearly, as Martin spoke this morning uh, so beautifully about our union with Christ, um, baptism is actually a picture of that because we, when we go down into the waters, we are joined with Christ in his death. And as we come up out of the waters, 
we are joined in his resurrection. And that is what the picture of baptism is, that we can see that in our baptisms, we were joined with Christ in his death and that we are children of Christ, brothers and sisters of Christ who join with him in his resurrection life also. So often in Lent, there is a tremendous amount of um, emphasis upon um, sin and repentance. And of course, that needs to take place because um, we, that's a prep way of preparing for this renewal of our baptismal rites. But we also have to always keep in mind what is on the other side, and that is the resurrection, and that there is no fear in this repentance. As Jesus, I love the reading this morning where Jesus, the disciples who had this fear, you know, they saw this transfiguration. This is the gospel reading uh, this morning. If those of you who weren't at 9 will hear it at 11. Um, the disciples were afraid, and then it says, but Jesus looked at them. And then they weren't afraid anymore. So it's always so important when we're repenting to keep our eyes on Jesus so that there is no fear. So part of these vows then are this repentance. And here is, again, this is an ancient uh, baptismal fount from probably about the same period I've just been talking about. But here is what the priest asks those who are about to be baptized, either the sponsors or if there are adults that are being baptized. And it's all the things that we reject. Uh, reject the devil and rebellion. We renounce the deceit and corruption of evil. We repent of the sins that separate us. But then we turn to Christ as our savior. We come to Christ the way, the truth, and the life. And if we, I have, again, I, I have a small handout. If we want to just even spend Lent meditating on our baptismal vows, uh, I think that that would be a very, very worthy thing. Um, I don't know if any of you know why we dip our hands in the holy water as we come into church. Does any of you know why that is, what we're doing when we're doing that? Dip our hands into holy wa water and give ourselves the sign of the cross. Pardon? Yes, it's a renewal of our baptismal vows. Every Sunday, you have a chance to dip your hands in that water and say, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those names that I was baptized into the body of Christ, I renew those vows. So that's one picture of Lent, um, and that is this idea of baptism and resurrection. But... By the end of the fourth century, this cycle of festivals also became associated with the concept of pilgrimage. And that isn't just Easter, but it's basically all of the festivals. By the end of the fourth century, we have the full church calendar that we have now in terms of the high holy days of the presentation of Jesus in the temple, um, the uh, Easter vigil. We have also Holy Thursday and Holy Friday. On Holy Thursday, evidently, the catechumens hadn't bathed all that six weeks. So they, <laughs> um, on Holy Thursday, they got to take a bath. 
<laughs> not a baptismal bath, but they got to take a bath. And the one book I was reading was, so maybe they didn't smell so bad when the time came. But um, we have Holy Thursday. We have Good Friday, where the church gathered to hear um, the, um, the account of the crucifixion. But we also have, by then, we have Ascension, and we have Pentecost as the great festival. So what Constantine did with his mother and whether this is real or imagined, he created all these shrines in the Holy Land that people would go and visit for each one of these festivals. And for the festival of Easter, uh, everyone would go to Jerusalem itself. And we have some beautiful accounts by one saint um, woman, Ajuria, who wrote of one of the reasons why we know as much about the vigil as we do is because of her account of the vigils at that time. So this concept of pilgrimage also really came to be a part of how we understand Lent, uh, both real and symbolic. Um, so Lent, in a sense, becomes this journey to the cross. Um, and that is to the cross of Jesus. We are journeying to that point where Jesus was baptized into death. So we, this journey, I think one way we can observe it is by following our lectionary readings. Uh, for the time of Lent. You know, today it all began with the Transfiguration and the new common lectionary. They revised it so we actually have, um, even though the Feast of Transfiguration is in August, we actually have the readings of the Transfiguration beginning the Sunday before Ash Wednesday. So if you go into your Bibles and you start in the Gospel with the Transfiguration, tomorrow maybe, and you begin to start to meditate on the journey that Jesus took, the steps that he took towards that cross. Um, do an extended reading, you know, maybe just a small portion every day, maybe just three or four verses of a meditation upon Jesus' journey. Um, we also have other tools that can help us. There is a booklet that I'm going to be picking up I think it's, where is that? Uh, it's right here. Uh, a Lent, A Season of Returning. Um, this is put out by the Transforming Community. I'm going to get a bunch of these and have them available to all of you on Wednesday night. But what, um, uh, it's by Ruth Haley Barton. What she does is she takes the lectionary readings for each week and asks us, they're in here, and asks us to have an extended meditation upon the lectionary readings for the following Sunday. And when I do this, and I have begun doing it again, I kind of fell out of the practice of it, of really taking each day one of the lectionary readings for Sunday and meditating upon that. When I come to church on Sunday, I am so ready to hear the word proclaimed from the pulpit. But then also there is an extended meditation on these and also some really great, I think what I like about this booklet the best, are some great journaling questions. And this is something you could do with your whole family um, and it, it goes all the way. There's one Sunday for each um, Sunday in Lent and then it also goes up to Holy Week. So this would be a resource you might want to consider and if you don't, but at least take some time to look in the, um, look at the, the gospel readings that lead up to this journey to the cross. So the other um, really important part of Easter is that we see it as a time in the desert. Um, Henry Nouwen, we have to fashion our own desert 
where we can withdraw every day, shake off our compulsions, and dwell in the gentle healing presence of the Lord. Without such a des desert, we will lose our own, own should while preaching the gospel to others. Uh, I think I left out a word there. Um, but, you know, maybe not like every day we fashion our own desert. <laughs> I think that's maybe a little in our fast-paced world. But I think that there is, during Lent, a time to maybe set aside one day a week uh, where you come in silence before the Lord, uh, maybe for just half an hour. And that's the desert, basically, of our own thoughts. Um, it's very hard to practice silence because we just have all these thoughts that we can't let go of. And actually, one thing to observe is when we are trying to be silent before the Lord is, what is it that we're thinking about? What is it that we can't let go of to even take a few minutes to pray? And I think in that experience, we'll find our own desert. We'll find the things that we are really struggling with. What are the compulsions that we can't shake off? So as Lent progressed and in the traditions of the church, there became basically three engines that drove Lent, and we don't often talk about these. We like to kind of update them, modernize them, and I think I'll try to do that, but I want to bring us back to those, um, which is prepare, first of all, and that's Ash Wednesday, and then fasting, giving, and praying. Um, these are the three disciplines that the church has practiced over all the centuries. They're tried and proven practices that help us prepare for our baptismal celebration. And I'd like to unpack those just a little bit um, this morning, and then I'd like to talk about it together, how we can unpack those. So prepare begins with, um, well, this is actually a little out of order, but this Lenten preparing and waiting culminates in Holy Week with the devastating letting go and death. And so, as I mentioned before, walking through the valley of death is part of the pilgrimage. And this walking in the valley of the shadow of death is actually what we do on Ash Wednesday. This is how we celebrate Ash Wednesday. Um, there is, um, we come together and we receive ashes. And we hear these words, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. And this dust of course, is the symbol of our own humanness, our own weakness, our, the idea that we will all die one day. But another way of looking at it is that it's also a way of acknowledging that we are human and that we can't do this journey on our own, okay? Um, you hear these words from the priest or the deacon who anoints you with ashes, turn away from sin. But then we hear, but be faithful to Christ. Turn away from sin and be faithful to Christ. So those are the two sides. We can't turn away without looking to Christ, as I mentioned before. Um, and so, again, we have those baptismal vows. But one of the things I want to emphasize that awareness of sin must be completely overpowered by awareness of the love and acceptance that God has for us despite our sinful condition. So I look at Lent as the positive side, which is turning towards that Greek 
great mystery of the passion of Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we, we cannot grasp that our own brokenness really truly. We can wallow in the ways we've made mistakes, but that isn't really what even God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to just wallow. He wants us to turn to him. And so we have the other side of, again, our baptismal vows, which is the positive side. What do we commit to ourselves to when we are faithful to Christ? Um, and these, again, I'll hand this out later, so I'm not going to read them, but it's basically these are the things that we in our baptismal vows have committed ourselves to. And it's a pretty um, all-encompassing list. I don't think that there's anything missing. Um, in the wonderful brevity of words that our liturgy has, it strikes at the core of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So Lent is a time where we do um, think about our disciplines. And discipline in the spiritual life is the concentrated effort to create the space and time where God becomes our master. Um, it creates boundaries that keep space and time open for God, a time and a place where God's gracious presence can be acknowledged and responded to. So in our spiritual life, there should be no shoulds. We really actually, I wish I could just say should and then a big cross through it. There's no shoulds. There's either yes or no. Um, I will follow you, Lord, today. I do encompass your love. I do reach out for your love. Um, I woke up late this morning. I don't have time to do the morning prayer. Forgive me, Lord, but I know that you still love me. You know, it's not, oh, gosh, I should have gotten up 10 minutes early. No, it's just embrace God's love. Wake up every morning simply embracing God's love. And we slowly will learn to create margins in our life. It doesn't happen overnight. But Lent is a great time to commit ourselves to one small habit that we would like to have. Nothing grandiose. I mean, some of the things I've suggested here are like read four verses of scripture a day or sit in silence before God for five minutes. I know all of us have hugely busy schedules, but we can give at least God a token of our love for him because all he really asks us for is our love. He doesn't he doesn't need us to do or be anything. What he desires from us is that we be in a relationship with him and that we love him and that we turn away from other things and we turn to him. So this brings us to the idea of fasting because, you know, we can think about fasting in the traditional sense of going without food, which is actually they're discovering that is a great practice just for our bodies. Evidently, our bodies need to fast from food because there's this cellular thing that's going on, evidently, when we deprive our bodies of food. I was just reading this article um, in the newspaper about how our cells are, during periods of fasting, our cells are rejuvenated and old cells die and new cells. I, it just, I just thought it was really interesting because who would have known this little sect, you know, 2,000 years ago in the desert came up with this idea of something that modern science is now saying, this is really good for your body, boy, uh, boys and girls, okay? But also, you know, traditionally we think of fast as, you know, we give up something for Lent, okay? And this often is completely 
trivial, okay? I mean, I know when I was a little girl, you know, I was, I'm gonna give up chewing gum for, what are you gonna give up? Well, you know, it was just really ridiculous, okay? Um, but then there are some things that maybe aren't such a bad idea. Um, like maybe we need to get off Facebook for Lent and not because Facebook's a bad thing, but because, you know, it may, for me, I never go on Facebook. So for me to give up, I mean, I rarely go on Facebook. To give up Facebook would not be something that would be a huge thing. But what might be difficult for me is watching videos at night. Because I have a couple of favorite TV programs. I don't watch the TV, but I have it on my little iPad. And, you know, maybe that would be something for me to say, okay, I'm going to create more margin in my life, and maybe that's one thing I could give up. So... Um, uh, what I'd like to do right now is I'm going to pass out a handout, and I just want to take a few minutes. Is it this one? Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, so, and just, I would like you to take these home. I'll just give you an minute right now, um, and read this and think about it, and hopefully you're not going to actually blow it out. take a few minutes and maybe think about this and um, take it home you know maybe there's some things you want to write down right now even as we just take a few minutes So we've looked at the first of the three disciplines of Lent, fasting. Now I would like to look very briefly at prayer. And again, the purpose of prayer is to come into a relationship with God. Um, and I think this is an apt scripture. Uh, this is one that's often used, uh, I think it's one of our readings even for Ash Wednesday. This is why the Lord says, turn to me while there is time. Give me your hearts. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Instead, tear your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. And perhaps this is a prayer that we can pray uh, all through Lent, is how can we return our hearts to God? How can we make space in our hearts for the love of God. Um, 
Teresa of Avila is one that has written extensively on prayer. Um, she wrote in her autobiography, which is the place to begin with, Teresa of Avila. She also has a very famous um, Matthew. Interior. Interior Castle, thank you. But start with the autobiography, which is basically her honest, she wrote this basically as a confession of her honest difficulties that she had with prayer. But one of the things I really love about this is her metaphor for the soul, which I think really fits right now because we've been talking all year about the virtues and vices. And what her metaphor is, is that um, the soul is a garden and we need to feed the soil of the garden which is our heart with the water of prayer with the water not really of prayer with the water of God's love which we experience in prayer the flowers of the garden are the virtues but there's no flowering without prayer according to Saint Teresa so as we think about virtue we think about the thing that comes before it, which is prayer. Um, so here's just a few suggestions for prayer. Um, I already said this, spend five minutes a day in silence. Keep a prayer journal. Um, set a few hours aside once a week, maybe even one hour once a week, for extended prayer and Lectio Divina with the scriptures. If you're an active kind of person, sitting still is really hard, okay? Take prayer walks, take intentional prayer walks where you're just walking and talking. I often will put on my earbuds and listen to Christian music. Um, those are some of the most wonderful times I have with the Lord. They're not necessarily sitting at home alone in my little prayer closet. They're out walking, listening to Christian music and just talking to God. Um, the other thing you might wanna consider is reading a very cla a small classic text on prayer. I have a bunch of them up here, and I also will put them a bi bibliography on our website. I mean, there's something like A. W. Tozer, the knowledge of the holy. You know, just a few pages each day. Um, you know, C. S. Lewis, when he talked about virtue, he wrote his famous sermon. I think a lot of you might be familiar with it, "The Way to Glory," where he said, "People, you ask people nowadays, what is the greatest virtue?" And they will say unselfishness. And he says, wait a minute, that is like so backwards. The greatest virtue, and in fact it is one of the theological virtues, is love. And at the bottom, when you read the New Testament, what you're reading is about desire and love. That God desires us and loves us and wants us. And that we have to get in touch with our desires first. And this is a book that has been really helpful to me. It's called Befriending Our Desires. Because I found in my own walk... I had to look at what it was that I actually desired before I could begin to even say, I desire God. So I really, this would be a great book. Um, I think this would be a great Lenten book. There's also some great classics like The Cloud of the Unknowing. I mean, there's just a lot. But maybe consider taking one classic text um, this Lent and reading it. <coughs> Giving. So what is our most precious commodity? Time. Absolutely, time. And Lent is about creating margins of time. Um, every popular invention of the last 20 or 30 years 
has had time saving as its principal feature and benefit because all of us think we don't have enough time. So Lent is a time to say, I'm going to slow down. Maybe I'm going to cut out something so that I can slow down. Um, I was someone who was just way, way, way too busy. And last fall, I realized I just I had no margin in my life whatsoever. So I gave up something that was a pretty important to me and a pretty major responsibility in my life so that I could have more margin because I had no margin. I would hear people say things like, well, when you're at the grocery store, don't grumble because you got behind the person who needed a price check. And, you know, and there's, all these things sounded great, but I didn't have time for them, okay? I didn't have time to be patient, all right? Because I had to get on to the next thing. I mean, the, I was already 10 minutes late for the next thing, always late for the next thing. So there's just something really wrong with my life, and I realized it, okay? So giving of time. Um, we usually have a family collection. Uh, I think I haven't heard what it's going to be, but it usually is for something for, we have those bowls for Kenya. I don't know if we're doing that this year. Feed a family, yeah. So, again, Lent is a family celebration. For those that you have family, this isn't just about you and the Lord, but it's also helping your children learn to observe what Lent is about, maybe starting some family devotions once a week, um, also maybe emphasizing a participation in the giving of our resources, maybe take your whole family, I mean the older ones, I guess, um, to the food pantry. I think Elizabeth is looking for volunteers. So um, I would like to pray this prayer for Lent. I would like to end this. I'd like to pray it together. And then I think we might have a little time for um, some questions or some comments. But let's pray this prayer together. Um, if you would say together, slow us down for the fast, and I will pray the other things. Okay. Still our restless spirits Calm our racing minds, center our being, let our longing linger, let it take root and create a beautiful yearning space that has the time to ache. Slow us down for the past. Silence the siren voices, wait for our weary wanting to meet our need and common ground. Hold back the driving beat of our hearts, and let the drums of our internal wars fall silent. Before the journey begins, before the wanderlust calls us, before the wilderness beckons and breaks our searching spirits, we ask it for your own name's sake. Amen. Okay. So that prayer is... Um, also, if you like that prayer, it is in the prayer booklets that we have for Lent at the end. That's a very